Well, happy National German Chocolate Cake Day. <laughs> it is. You didn't know it, but you know it now. Okay, technically it's National German Chocolate Cake Day in America, uh, but still. I also found out it's not just any German chocolate cakes. It's a particular type, and you, you know baking will know all about this. It's also uh, International Jaguar Day. Uh, I'm assuming that's the animal, not the car. Otherwise, the marketing firm for Jaguar is really earning its keep if they've got an international day. But it raises that question, doesn't it? What significance? Uh, what significance do we give to days, weeks, months, years? Because today is also Sunday. It's June. It's 2023 in the West. It's 1444 in Muslim countries. It's 10 days till the first day of summer. But you might not believe it looking outside. It's 244 days until... No, I'm not going to say the C word, don't worry. Chinese New Year. It's only 197 until that other word. It's St. Barnabas's Day. It's Hugh Laurie's birthday. It's the anniversary of the death of Alexandra the Great. And also DeForest Kelly, who played Bones in the series called Star Trek. Days, weeks, months have different significance, don't they, to different people in different places. How we mark time is part of our culture, and it's part of how we understand the world, where we fit into everything that's been before. And we base it around the things that are important to us. And the thread that holds our passage together this morning is the use of time, is the marking of time. The weeks, the years, the festivals, the events that are important in the year. What are the elements that we're to build into our calendars, our diaries, our months, our, our days? As with all the passages that we've been looking at, we must remember, of course, that we're this side of Christ, aren't we? Believers, God's people, are not a nation as they were here. Christ has come and fulfilled the law. But that doesn't make these commandments irrelevant. We're not just to look at this as history. It's not whether they apply, it's how they apply. That's what we've been seeing over the coming uh, last few weeks. And that means we need to look for the underlying principles that underlie these laws and commands. So what are the things that underlie how we mark time? Well, first of all, we see rest, verses 10 to 12. Let me just read those verses uh, to you again. For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and that, they may and that you may leave the beasts of the field to eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard, with your olive orchard. The first two commands in this passage are expressions and expansions on the fourth commandment, on the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments. And they're to do with rest. These commandments show that the idea of rest and Sabbath is much broader than we often think. It's much bigger than we give it credit for. And it also has implications for the oppressed and needy, as many of the laws do, as we began to see last week. Here in verses 10 and 11, which I just read, we see that there's rest for the land in service to the poor. The land itself was to have a rest every seven years, either in a sort of crop rotational cycle, so like different fields, different years, as some think, or all the fields at the same time. We certainly know that happened between the Testaments. They tried that for a little while. 
God promises elsewhere that the sixth year would be so abundant that it would provide for the seventh year. A bit like the way they were given enough manna uh, on the, uh, for two days on the Friday in the wilderness. Either way, the principle is that the land was due its rest. Intensive, exhaustive farming could ruin the land if they just did it over and over and over again. And God was giving them this land as a gift. They were not to ruin it. It also meant that the food that grew naturally on that land during that year when it wasn't farmed would be providing for the poor. That again would make more sense if the field had a rest, was rotated through the, the years. Otherwise they'd only have that one every seven years, wouldn't they? Where they had extra food. But the idea was the field would be left for them so they could collect whatever grew naturally on the field. It also even gave provision for the wild animals, the animals of the land might be cared for too. So this is rest, but it's rest with a purpose that the needy might be provided for. Thing is though, for a lot of Israel's history, it wasn't kept. So in one chron- sorry, 2 Chronicles uh, 36, it tells us this. He took uh, into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. They didn't keep it, so God made them keep it. The Lord had promised in Leviticus that the land would get its rest, uh, even if they didn't allow it. This would be the way that God would do it. So the rest of the land was important. But there's also in verse 12, rest for everyone, that the burdens may be refreshed. Have a look at verse 12. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest and the son of your servant woman, and the alien may be refreshed. You might be tempted to think this is just a repeat of the fourth commandment, but it isn't. Its focus is on those who benefit from the rest that everybody is to have. The ox and the donkey, the working animal. The son of the servant woman, literally the slave woman. This seems to be a biblical term for the sort of lowest of the low. It's used in two of the Psalms to emphasise the sort of psalm, psalmist's humility and humbleness. So for the lowest of the low, and for the alien. Now it's exactly the same word as sojourner uh, that we saw in the last passage. So I've no idea why they translate it as alien. It's not the sort of, you know, I know we've had stuff in the news this week, it's none of that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's someone who's staying in your country uh, for a while. And do you notice that it's there so that the last two can be refreshed? That they may be refreshed. Literally, they can breathe. We have that sort of thing in English, to have a breather, don't we? It means to have a rest. And we see here that rest is not to stop us doing well at our job, not to stop us making money. It's there for our benefit. And that we might not overwork and exhaust others. Especially those who have little choice over whether they can or can't work at the time that we ask them to. What it's saying here is that we're to rest so that they can have a breather. If we're in a position of authority, then those under us have, often have little option whether to work if we tell them to. We're to be making sure that we're allowing them time to rest. It's something that we as church leaders, as elders need to take into account as well as we leave the church. 
time built in to rest. And rest is a big deal in the Bible. Rest really is the goal of creation. Back in Genesis, right at the beginning, the seventh day is when God rests. Not because he was tired, but that he might enjoy his creation. And rest too is still where we're headed to. In Hebrews 4 verse 9, we're told that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In Romans 8, 21, we're told that the creation itself will one day be set free from its bondage to corruption and decay and enjoy freedom, a picture of that rest. The rest that it speaks of is a permanent final rest, an enjoyment of all that God has made and all that God has done. And until then, all rest is temporary, and mostly there for recovery and refreshment. To put it in the language we're just using, it's a breather rather than a final rest. I think the closest analogy we get in this uh, in our culture is uh, is flat pack furniture. <laughs> Most of us will have had the experience of building a bookcase or a cabinet or even a shed. You can get like flat pack sheds you sort of build. I built a sofa once that flat pack, that was an experience. But if you're anything like me, about halfway through, there comes a point when you need a breather. Sometimes several nowadays, I need to sort of stop quite a few times. You know what I mean? You sort of go and you get some air, you get a cold drink, you sit down for a little while. But it's a temporary break, isn't it? It's not the final rest. It's enjoyable in the middle of it all, but mostly because it's a break from the back-breaking labour. Uh, putting together a billy bookcase. But then there comes that final moment when it's finished. And then you can enjoy final rest and sit back and enjoy your handiwork. That is the final rest that the mini rests look forward to. Well, almost. You know, it's almost there, isn't it? But yeah, it takes on a pattern of what we do. You find an excuse to have your friends round. If you're anything like me, "Look, look, I finished my shed. You just start to drop it into conversation. Rejoice with me. I've got a place to put all my new books. Uh, finally, I don't have to just keep them in piles around the house. If we really wanted to be true to life, though, there's also a point further on down the line when actually we know that those things we've built fall apart. It's sort of inevitable, certainly when I build them anyway. Uh, and now you have to remake the broken thing. Only now it's reinforced with every available screw in the house and every available brand of superglue that you can get from the shop in Otley. You know, the 20p shop can only sell so many types of glue. And you put it back together, and that is so glued together, it is never going to break again. Never going to come apart again. Well, that really is the final rest that all the, even the other final rest looked forward to. That is the final rest we look forward to when everything is fixed, when the fall is undone, when all the work is done and there's nothing more to do. But until that final rest, there's a sense in which all of the rests are just breathers. Necessary, but not enough. Helpful, but fleeting. They should be there, though, as we look forward to that final rest. It's important that we build in time to rest into our calendars, into our days, into our weeks. As we organise our time, we must build in time to rest. We're not designed to be 24-7 people. And if we try to live like that, we break ourselves and we break others as we drag them along with us, especially those who have little choice whether to work. 
rest we see here is not laziness. God builds it into his creation. He builds it into his law. Rest is a part of God's good design. But rest is not the only thing we need to build into our our calendars. There's also remembrance. Have a look at verse 13. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let them be heard on your lips. Three times in a year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labour, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruits of your labour. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here. No one else I read this week says this, but this is what I think verse 13 is about. Most commentaries I've read were not looking for any pattern or structure in the sections that we've looked at in the last couple of weeks. But I believe there's one there. These are not random commandments just sort of dropped together. They fit into their context. And that means that verse 13 must be talking about this theme of time, Sabbaths, festivals that we see here. And when you delve into the original language, it fits. The phrase pay attention is literally to keep. It's also the word that's translated keep in verse 15 and twice in verse 16 to keep or observe a festival. And the word mention is literally the word remember or mark, as in Exodus 20 verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's not a random verse in the middle that talks about something else. It fits with what's around it and it's to do with marking, remembering. They are not to mark the names of other gods. They're not to remember them in terms of their gatherings. They're not even to have them on their lips. So what is that talking about? Well, I think it's talking about not marking all those Egyptian and Canaanite festivals and time markers that are to do with false gods and their time. The Egyptians named their festivals and months after gods. Nearly all of the months are named after gods or festivals to gods, and the rest are checked. They're of uncertain origin. Nobody knows where they come from. In contrast, it would seem that God gave the Israelites new names for their months and new festivals, which is uh, what explains verses 15 to 19. He gives them a new way of marking time that's different from the Egyptians. The question is, though, if this is right, how do we apply it? If it's saying we don't mark time like everybody else, do we need to have Christian versions of the names of weeks and months? Because half of our months are named after Roman gods, And half of our days of the week are named after Norse gods, if you didn't know. Is that marking the names of other gods, remembering them? I think initially it could have been. I'm not sure how wise our ancestors were in keeping those names for our months. But in modern language, in modern day usage, they've lost their meaning. It's trivia that Thursday was the day you worshipped Thor, Thor's day. I had to look up Maya, uh, who May is named after, Uh, She's the Roman goddess of growth, just so you don't get distracted trying to think uh, who she is. 
What I do think is it means that we should be marking our time differently from the world around us. We'll look at how the Israelites were to do it, and then we'll come back to think about it ourselves. But for the Israelite, the year was to be marked out by three different festivals. There were other festivals through the years, but these were the compulsory ones. These were the ones where all the men of the household were to attend in verse 17. These were the three-line whip ones. You had to be there. We're not going to say everything we could about them, because the passage doesn't, but we'll pick up what the chapter highlights. So firstly, you get the Feast of Unleavened Bread in verse 15. Now let me read that to you again. You shall keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. The festival was right at the beginning of the biblical year. This is what we normally call Passover, but here it's referred to as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We're told the name of the month it's to be celebrated in, Abib, which means a green ear of corn, nothing to do with gods. We're told its meaning. They're supposed to do it because in that month they were rescued from Egypt. It's a festival to remember the rescue. It's what we celebrate at Easter time. Unfortunately, Easter is named after an old English word for April, which was named after the god Estra. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, yeah, it does sort of mark time with a, uh, a, uh, a thing. We renamed the month to April, but forgot to rename Easter. I don't quite get how that works. But anyway, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a week-long festival of Passover, when no leaven was to be eaten and a lamb was to be sacrificed. And no one could be there without that lamb to sacrifice. Everybody had to have a sacrifice. No one could appear empty-handed. And then verse 18 seems to be a command that's linked to it. Have a look at verse 18. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until morning. Both these commands here were linked with Passover. The command not to use leaven, and the command that none be left over till morning are found, but they're found linked with this festival. So it seems like the the first command that comes afterwards links with the first. The second festival was the uh, Feast of First Fruits. So this festival was a 50 day, uh, sorry, 50 days after the first one, and it was known therefore as Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot uh, in Hebrew. It marked the beginning of the harvest, the first fruits, and that's what we're told in verse 16. The beginning of verse 19 gives us a command linked with the festival. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the, uh, into the house of the Lord your God. So it's a reminder here at the beginning of the harvest that the first fruits, the best of the first fruits, not the sort of manky bits that you didn't want to use, the best of what came out was to be given. And then the third and final festival was in gathering in verse, uh, second half of verse 16. We're told simply that it's at the end of the year. We find out in Leviticus that it's in the seventh month, right after the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement marks the National New Year. That's right, they had two New Years. That's why it gets confusing sometimes. Bear in mind, we do too. The beginning of the national year is in January, and unfortunately the beginning of the tax year is in April, as we uh, we find out every year. But it was to be another week-long festival, and this one marked the end of the harvest, when everything was gathered in. 
hence the name of the feast, the Feast of Ingathering. In our calendar, it's at the end of September, and that's often when we have our harvest festivals. The weird thing is the command then that's seemingly linked with it. If we follow our pattern from those verses at the end, it's verse 19, the second half. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now this verse is famous for its obscurity, but if we view it this way, it would seem that in some way it's linked with this festival. When it appears in Deuteronomy, uh, sorry, when it appears in Exodus 34, it does so again after this festival in the same order. So again, it would seem linked with it. When it appears in Deuteronomy, though, it's just listed with foods that you can and can't eat. So what is it about? Well, the most likely explanation is that it was a pagan sacrifice performed and linked to the harvest. This is the time of year when goats are young. Weaning would stop just after this to allow the goats to have more kids. That's right, I looked into the life cycle of a goat this week, so that you don't have to. There is mention in fairly recently discovered documents of a pagan fertility sacrifice involving a young goat cooked in goat's butter. And it there was used to try and attain a good harvest for the coming year. Now if we view it that way, it makes sense. But the question on everyone's minds, I know, is what on earth does any of this, including that bit, have to do with us now? Well, to start with, what are these festivals even about for us? Because we don't celebrate them, do we? Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was fulfilled at Easter time, when Jesus died as a sacrificial lamb to rescue us and then rose again. The Feast of Firstfruits is fulfilled at Pentecost, the beginning of the worldwide harvest and the coming of the Holy Spirit to bring it about. The Feast of Ingathering is still to be fulfilled. It's Jesus' second coming once the harvest is over. But if we make the fulfilment of these things just another festival, then I think we miss the significance. You see, the fulfilment of Passover is not Easter Sunday. It's a new reality now, living under Jesus, knowing forgiveness and peace with God because of what Jesus achieved. The fulfilment of First fruits is not Pentecost Sunday, it's renewed lives on a mission for God through the ministry and empowering of the Holy Spirit who was given at Pentecost. And the fulfilment of ingathering is not an autumn harvest festival. It's living in expectancy of his return and the hope of glory. That's so much more than giving a few tins or wearing white once a year. The question then becomes, how do we remember these things? If it's bigger than that, how do we bring these things to remembrance? How do we keep them before our eyes? How do we build these things into our lives? And that's our final point. Building rest and remembrance into our lives. See, one way we could do this is we could carry on those three festivals but do Christian versions, couldn't we? We do that to some extent, Easter, Pentecost, harvest. But we do need to be careful. Paul writes to the Galatians, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, which slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have laboured over you in vain. So it's clear from that there can be an observation of these things that can be very unhelpful. 
when we base our righteousness on it, as they were doing in, in Galatia, when we make it more than an act of remembrance, we all know that uh, those who make an appearance once or twice at church, not normally at ours, but at some churches, they do them at those times of year, don't they? Thinking that it puts them in God's good books when it does nothing of the sort. But we should be careful, though. Romans and Colossians warn us of passing judgment in these areas. So Colossians 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul is quite clear, isn't he? He says those things are obsolete shadows. Yet we're still not to pass judgment on those who practice them, if they're doing them in faithful service to God. I think this is one of those issues where people get on their high horses on both sides, and we need to be careful about that. I've been challenged, though, by this, uh, as to how we do this together as a church. How do we, then, remember these things? Personally, I tend to shy away from festivals and liturgical calendars and, and seasons like Lent and Advent. But if we're not going to do it that way, how are we going to build in rest and remembrance into our calendars, into our lives? Because if we don't, then there's a danger that the world will just set the agenda. The world wants to fill up our calendar with what it believes is important. So this week, on Wednesday, it's World Blood Donor Day. On Saturday, it's World Day to Combat de- uh, sorry, Desert Desertification, I think it's to do with deserts rather than deserts, desertification, drought, and it's also Otley Carnival. On Sunday, I don't think they're connected. Um, <laughs> no, it is always very warm. Um, on Sunday, it's Father's Day, just a reminder, and also Sustainable gastro- Gastronom... Posh, posh Food Day. <laughs> there we go. And of course, mixed into all that, we're now in the middle of Pride Month, aren't we? The world has its own calendar. It has its own way it wants to remember things. It has its own things that it expects us to do, like boil a goat in its mother's milk. And we need to decide what we go along with, what we ignore, and when we set the agenda ourselves. And I think it's something that we need to think about as leaders as we think about the months and years ahead. I think evangelistically we do well at plugging into the rhythms and patterns of the world, nationally and locally, where we can. Otley Carnival, the Victorian Fair, Christmas. Those are things that resonate with the world around us without having to compromise. But what about those patterns of rest and remembrance for us? What about those key events of the cross, the resurrection, the coming of the Spirit, the return of Christ? What about times for rest and refreshment? How can we build those things into our church life in a meaningful way? Now, of course, part of the answer to that is the Lord's Supper and baptism. Those things were given to us by Christ as a regular means of remembrance. That's in part why they're there. That's why we remember the Lord's Supper. It reminds us of Jesus' death and resurrection. Baptism reminds us again of those things as we think of uh, the death and burial. But I'm sure that there's more that we could do as a church. Something that we need to think about together. How can we build those things into what we do? But as well as it just being something that we need to think about as a church, we need to think about it as individuals, and in some cases as families. We need to think about how we build rest into our agendas. We need to think about how we build in remembrance 
into our calendars. Do you notice this here? Actually, those things two, two things are normally put together. They're to have a rest to remember. It was sort of given to them so that they could spend that time. Could we convert some of our leisure time into time with God? Could we set apart time in our holiday for God? I know for, for us, we normally do special family Bible times uh, during holidays, uh, where we'll do something a little bit different. I've done one where I wrote a, a song about the Ten Commandments, and we did the Ten Commandments for one day every week, for one week, one day every, uh, it's not a week, is it? Ten days. There we go. But it's a chance to spend a, a bit more time with God in a less rushed way. I know many people use their holidays for mission, Christian camps, beach missions, short-term international mission, and things like that. Which is a great sacrificial use of time. I'm not knocking it, not knocking it in the slightest, if I encourage it. But if we're doing that, we also need to make sure that we're building in time to receive and remember, to rest as well. There are conferences, Christian holidays, that include those sorts of things. Or could you just take a day off, switch off your phone, and just read your Bible for a chunk of the day? Thinking of putting those two together, rest and remembrance, do it in a nice coffee shop or something that you really enjoy. The thing with all of these things is that we need to be deliberate about them, otherwise they won't happen. We know that if we don't mark out time for stuff, then generally it won't happen. And we need to make sure we're not just going along with the world and doing as the world says, marking time in the way that the world does, and joining in with the things that it thinks are important. If we do that, then we'll end up celebrating German Chocolate Cake Day. But we'll forget about Jesus in the ebb and flow of life. If we can build in those things, if the world can build in those things into its calendar, then surely we can build in things that will help us remember and reflect and rest. So take a breath. Let's take a moment now, in fact, to take a breath. Just think it through, pray it through. How could this week, could I build in more rest and remembrance of God into my life? And then we'll pray together. So let's just take a moment, take a breather, and then I'll pray. Father God, forgive us that we're so often to just rushing around, Father, and, and not taking time to rest and reflect. Father, forgive us from the, those times when we try to be supermen and superwomen who don't need rest, when, Father, you built us as creatures. Father, help us to acknowledge you in the way that we rest. Father, help us to take time to remember the incredible things that you have done for us through Christ. Father, we confess that so quickly we forget, we get distracted by other things. But Father, help us to remember you, to deliberately take time to remember you and all that you've done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.